Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's going on, folks? This is for my audience that wants to really get into broker relationships and cold calling and following up on leads. We got Bradley Milburn in the house. He's a veteran. He also has large multifamily experience by investing as a, in a joint venture in a large multifamily in the Virginia Beach area. So in this one, we talk a lot about the process of cold calling, what it means to follow up on leads. He even goes through tips and feedback on that process. He goes through an actual script verb- verbally of what he says to brokers and clients to get them to follow up. He gives insight into his own head of, as a broker from a broker perspective on underwriting a deal, what a good deal looks like to him. We talk about what it means for something to be off market, how off market deals are different from MLS. We talk about the advantage and disadvantage of an off market deal and how do we know they're the best as well as gaining the, re- the reputation and respect of an agent or a broker in order to receive off-market deals. So if you want to learn about just cold calling and and the broker relationship process, this is the episode for you. It's very insightful. It's very informative. It's very important to establish great relationships with brokers because that is the bread and butter of multifamily folks. As we all know, especially for experienced operators out there, typically the brokers are the ones that are going to bring you the deal. They're the ones that you're going to establish relationships with them and It's not all about transactional, right? So that's why you want to learn things about them. And that's why it's insightful to hear this episode, to learn how you communicate with them, because it can be very intimidating. A lot of people have always questions about that and how you go about that process. And the reason why that that comes about is because you'll find that even when you look up these brokers information, you can find it on like LoopNet or Craigslist, and a lot of them won't even give you the time of day. They'll call you. And if you don't have any experience as a multifamily operator, they'll hang up or they'll just try to swerve the conversation and end the call. And so the the feedback and the tips that Bradley talks about are very informative on how to navigate the waters of broker relationships and communication with them. So let's get into it. Now a word from our show sponsor. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets across the country for as little as 10% down with no cash-on-cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter whether you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, Go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com and let them know we sent you. All right, listeners, good afternoon. This is Dre Evans, your host for the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. I have Bradley Milburn with me here. He's a broker and an investor in the San Diego market. It is a very gloomy day today. Looks like it's about to rain, but I love it. It's that October weather. 
it really sets me in for the move for fall since we don't get leaves or anything else here. But without further ado, we're going to kick into it. This is the Multifamily by the Slice podcast, a podcast that teaches everyone how to invest in real estate, apartment real estate, like a boss. If you're interested in quitting a nine to five job or just want to build that legacy wealth and achieve financial freedom, this is the podcast for you. So without further ado, let's get into it. Brad, tell me a little about uh, yourself and how you got started in real estate. Great. I'm honored. Thanks for having me. You know, I grew up in West Michigan. No one in my family, none of my friends, no one is involved in real estate. The only real estate was a single family home. You buy, pay your mortgage for life. That's it. Joined the military, Navy myself, just like you. Once I decided to transition, wasn't even looking into real estate, was looking, you know, some sort of job, project management, take the skills to the workforce, kind of fell into it with the uh, foundation I was working with for military. The president said, hey, man, I think you should really consider real estate here in San Diego. It's a very strong market. Played in a golf tournament with a few guys, and uh, they put me in touch with the head broker that I now work with, and basically just started networking and thought, wow, this is a great uh, potential career. Listened to one podcast about a commercial real estate broker, and I was pretty much sold. And from there, just tried to educate myself as best as I can. And that's kind of where it started. And here I am. What podcast was that? Bigger Pockets. They had a mm-hmm. guy on who, uh, commercial real estate broker, talked about his journey as well. He basically got a taste, had no exposure to it, liked what he saw, was willing to work for free and just learn everything from the experts. And um, I was hooked. What about the podcast in general? What spoke to you the most about it? Because obviously there was something, like you said, you used the word hooked. There was something yeah. that really you know, grabbed onto you. So what was it that really was like, man, this is going to, I want to do that. I want to be a broker. of. I think the most, attractive aspect with that there's no limit it's essentially if you work hard and you just commit to the process you can almost guarantee success right nothing's guaranteed but in most industries you have some sort of cap maybe you get a promotion and then you kind of recap your salary you're kind of limited in certain aspects depending on what company you work for especially in the military in the real estate world there's pretty much no metric for hustle you can work as hard or as little as you want, and there is no limit to you know what you can achieve. And for me, that was kind of very attractive. Also, kind of the ability to build your own schedule. There's no set hours. You know, some days we work morning, some days we work midday, some days it's late nights, some days we don't work any weekdays, some days it's weekends. But having a family, it also afforded me the opportunity to kind of build my own schedule, which was great. Being super motivated myself, didn't really need to rely on a large company for the backing, just hard work and dedication. And you can kind of, all your dreams can come true. I like that. And I like that you use the word hustle. And speaking of that, that probably leads me to my next question about cold calling, because as a broker, cold calling is your bread and butter and that is hustle. So tell us what cold calling is. Give us a little insights into how you follow leads and what tips and process you have with that. How do you become an expert cold caller? Great question. If you would have told me five years ago, I'd be cold calling, I'd say no way. But you know, you do what you got to do. Cold calling is essentially you get a list of properties that you're interested in, either as an investor or a broker that you would like to sell or have buyers you want to buy. You get the phone numbers for the owners or you try to, and you just call them, introduce yourself, whatever you can do to kind of build rapport. And the goal of a cold call is essentially to get a meeting. You want to get a face to face with someone. If you think 
maybe even outside of real estate, if you get a call from a company, auto insurance, you get a quote for uh, life insurance, next thing you know, you're getting hit up by all these companies. These real estate owners are the same way. They get called all the time. You're just a voice over the phone, right? If you can kind of relay that, maybe build some rapport, provide some value, set up a face-to-face meeting, and then that's when you can really shine just with anyone else. Once you meet someone face-to-face, you get that eye contact, get that body language, build rapport, whether it's through real estate or other life things, and just kind of show them you know, what you can provide as far as services and try and relay that into a potential sale or maybe just a relationship that you can network into some other avenue of real estate or life. You just never know. So give me the script. Let's say I'm a newbie, cold caller. My name's Jimmy. I'm trying to cold call somebody on a duplex or whatnot or any property rather. What's, what's the script? They, they pick up, they say, hello. What do you say? Like verbatim. Verbatim. It's going to depend one on, uh, so speaking here in San Diego, probably depend if they have a bunch of properties or if they're Mm -hmm. just a one, one off mom and pop owner. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch of properties. They may be more sophisticated. Hey, Jimmy, my name is Brad, real estate broker in town here. Calling about your uh, property on 123 Main Street. And you say, hey, yeah, that's me. W- w- what's going on? I'm like, hey, you know, I just wanted to reach out. See if you're active in the marketplace, love to put some properties in front of you. Or would you ever consider selling? They say, no, I'm not really interested. Hey, Jimmy, I really appreciate you taking my call today. You know, feel free to use me as a resource moving forward. Uh, more than happy to send you market data or any points at any time. Okay, cool. Then I'll set in my calendar. I'll call them back in maybe six months. Maybe if the conversation goes, hey, you know, I would consider selling. Okay. Well, what's kind of your price point? Have you thought about a price at all? Like, uh, no, you know, maybe $2 million. Maybe I know that their duplex isn't worth $2 million. Okay. Uh, $2 million. Is there any specific reason you want to sell for $2 million? Or is that just kind of a number? Yeah, I don't know. I really thought about that kind of use what they tell you maybe to develop like, okay, you know, I'd love to do a market evaluation. Let's look at what other properties are trading. Uh, would you be open to kind of meeting up and just putting an evaluation? If they say no, like, okay, well, thanks for the time. Call them back in a few months. If they say yes, then you can start pulling the string a little bit and find some information about the building that is pertinent to what it could be worth. I like that. And then what if it was a mom and pop? If it's a mom and pop, a lot of times the mom and pop owners are much more concerned about the local politics, taxes, uh, and property management tasks because they are more hands-on managers. They're not really using the third party, or if they are, they have a much smaller portfolio. So they're much more inundated with the finite details of the building. In addition, they may not be as sophisticated. Maybe they bought this property 20, 30 years ago. Their rents can be super low. For those types of individuals, I'm trying to build more of a personal relationship and because they get calls much more frequently, a lot of the smaller properties, they're getting hit up by flippers, they're getting hit up by personal investors, they're getting door knocked, they might even live at the property. So they're like very inundated with all these people all the time. So for a mom and pop, like I said, just trying to build rapport, introduce myself, hey, would you ever consider an off-market offer on your property? I don't know, maybe, yeah, you know, if you could bring a buyer. Once you kind of hear that a lot, though, you, you try and separate, are these a real seller? Are they a fake seller? At the end of the day, there needs to be some motivation, whether it's price, divorce, taxes, partnership, dissolution. And when it calls calling, it's just repetition, right? You do this hours and hours, days on days. You kind of get the flavor of 
how owners act. Me personally, I like to call by zip code. I feel like a lot of the zip codes have the same style of owners. And a lot of times they own in the similar zip codes. Whereas, uh, you know, if you're calling coastal San Diego versus East County San Diego, it's going to be a very different flavor of ownership and individuals who like to invest in those properties and their investment goals may differ. So it's hard to say over a podcast, kind of like what the specific pitch would be, but just kind of like whatever you're feeling and, and you kind of go off of their reaction, how they answer certain questions and you just kind of, uh, yeah, you, you go with the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. You fill it out. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, but I think that's very insightful. And it's funny. I get calls like that all the time on my, especially my fourplex and PB. And oh, I mean, totally. these, these, these guys are coming like the wolves. They're like, Hey, what do you want for it? And I'm like, man, you have to give me a lot. <laughs> that's, that's doing, that's cash flowing right now. That's doing really well. And I put out so much work into it. So right. I'm like, I'm not looking to sell. So you really gotta have to be motivate me, but uh, I definitely get those calls. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's San Diego it's that type of market. People have money here. People are very hungry. There's a lot of wolves in the industry, especially in the broker world. So, uh, so let's say you find a deal, you find a property, mm-hmm. and you can answer this question from an investor perspective. I know you mentioned Brad that you do you do have some um, some properties, multifamily property in Virginia Beach on the East Coast. So you Correct. can answer this from an investor perspective or even from the broker perspective. But how do you underwrite a multifamily deal. And now, bro, you can take this from two to four units, which is for our listeners, that's what we consider small residential multifamily, or you Mm -hmm. can take it five units and above, which is what is considered a larger multifamily. So go ahead, take it whatever lane you want to take it. Maybe we can hit both if you want, but what do you do to look at a deal? Because they're both, they're evaluated very differently, as you know. Totally. I think my broker and investor underwriting are pretty similar. Um, mm-hmm. One thing we like to do in our shop is we don't focus too much on a pro forma. So if you look at a lot of brokers underwriting, the, they may include a pro forma, pro forma, it's, which it's, we it's tell our listeners well. what a pro forma is. Yeah. Pro forma is essentially what could the property be worth or what's the income the property could generate if it was completely fixed up, renovated and stabilized to hundred percent market rent. When I underwrite a deal, the first thing I'm going to do is, okay, what's the price they want to do? And I'm just going to start asking the seller questions. Okay, are the units all permitted? Because if you have a unit that's not legal, depending on your lender, they're most likely not going to count that income. So let's say you have a six-unit building, but there's two units that are not permitted. Well, those two units, the income that it generates are probably not going to be considered for the income to qualify for a mortgage. So you'd have to come up with a larger down payment because it's not going to cover the debt as much. Next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to verify the bedroom and bath makeup. A lot of times the property tax records here, specifically in San Diego, they're pretty dated. So if you look them up online, they may not be 100% accurate. I like to ask the seller, hey, what's the bedroom bath makeup? Because that can affect your pro forma rents. If they're all three one bedrooms, you're not going to be getting as much rent if they're all two bedroom, one baths. Next thing I'm going to do, hey, what are the current rents that you're receiving on the property? If you can get an exact rent roll, that's great. A lot of times when you're talking with the sellers the first time, they may give you a rough number over the phone. Oh, my gross rents per month are this. Okay. Something that's pertinent during the COVID world here, are the tenants all paying? Are the leases month to month? Okay. Do you get any other additional income on the property? Do you have garages that are able to rent out? Any parking income? 
Do you have any utility billback systems? I don't really account for like late fees and that type of stuff for my initial underwriting. That'd be more of a deep dive uh, for a buyer or if I was buying a property. Who pays utilities? Standard out here is probably going to be gas and electric are paid by the tenants. If you can get a property where the water is submetered as well, that's a huge bonus because normally the owner will pay water and sewer. Mm-hmm. City of San Diego, a lot of times the trash is included in the taxes. So that's another question. Hey, what is there trash expenses here? Any recent upgrades to the property, flooring, paint, cabinets, bathrooms, kitchens, roof, plumbing, electrical. What's your reason to sell? What's your motivation? Why do you want to sell? Would you do a 1031 exchange to tax defer? Would you just cash out? Are you looking for another property? Would you be open to seller financing, which essentially is the seller would act as some sort of bank on the property or they would hold a note on the property, maybe in junction with another uh, sort of financing. Lots of questions you can ask. I would say seven out of 10 times the initial conversation with the seller, it's going to be very brief and basic. The basic thing you can get is, are the units permitted and what the rent roll is? When I'm underwriting a deal, kind of like overview first enough is if I don't have exact expenses, a lot of times, once you start underwriting deals for a specific area, you can start to assume what the expenses are. But I go with at least a 35% um, expense ratio based off of the gross income for expenses and then vacancy. For out here in San Diego, I think traditionally uh, 3% vacancy across the county is a safe assumption. Yep. Unless you start getting into more of the rougher areas, maybe there's higher rent turnover, more working class tenants, then we'll bump it up to a 5%. During the height of COVID, we were essentially 5 to 7%, and that's come back down to 3%. And that's something that's market specific. You can kind of look at the metrics, talk to a broker, an agent. Property managers are the best at getting you the metrics for vacancy, but essentially vacancy, 35% expenses. And from there, I'm going to calculate the income on the property based off of their rent roll and kind of what it can generate for the year based off of their price and get a, a capitalization rate and a potential value. And now a word from our show sponsor. Let me let you in on the best kept secret when it comes to investing in single or multifamily flips. Hire an interior designer. Now stay with me. We're not talking about curtains and throw pillows here. We're talking about elevating your design, reconfiguring your floor plans, and developing functional spaces, all to maximize your ROI. Melanie Renee Designs has over 12 years of experience designing in the San Diego real estate market and is ready to help you increase your profits on flips, buy and holds, or short-term vacation rentals. Reach out to Melanie herself at melreneh at gmail.com. That's M-E-L-R-E-N-E-H at gmail.com. And make sure to tell her that we sent you. No, I like that. And I typically underwrite 35 to 40% for expenses for small multifamily within the San Diego market and about 4% mm-hmm. for vacancy as well. And for my rent roll projections, if I can't get a rent roll, I'll look at apartments.com. I'll try to look at comps. I'll try to leverage agents or brokers, or I'll try to get rental estimates from property managers. So once you get through evaluating a deal and you have your metrics, your criteria from a broker and from an investor perspective, when you're done with underwriting, you're saying to yourself, that's a good deal. What are your metrics to say to yourself? Hey, Brad, you're saying to yourself, Brad, like that's a good deal. Out here in San Diego, I think the first sniff test is the cap rate. 
basically you're taking the net operating income, which is the income minus all the expenses. You divide that number by whatever price the seller is proposing or by the going market cap rate. And basically, if the cap rate is kind of like within a range of what's trading for that specific location, like, okay, this could be a good deal. Also, price per door, just looking at a property, you know, if I've got a building in El Cajon and it's like 350 a door, I'm going to say like, that's probably way overpriced. If you've got a coastal property building that's 350 a door, could be a good deal right now. Those are my two initial. And then for myself as an investor, Virginia Beach is a more cash flow market, San Diego. I'd like to shoot for at least like a 6% to 7% cash on cash return as is on a stabilized asset. If it's something that just needs some cosmetic, you know, it's not fully turnkey, maybe it's a little bit distressed. I try and do a 6% minimum cash on cash return with a heavy uh, 7% vacancy and a little bit higher for CapEx. Just because in Virginia Beach, Ryan Beth, a lot of the properties are really old. A lot of like 1920s build, it's an old port town. Out here in San Diego, same thing what you said, Dre, 35% expenses is pretty standard across the board. And then the low vacancy is kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, thank you, I like that. And I want to dig deeper too into something that you said earlier about off-market deals. And I just want to say this before we even get dig there. There's nothing wrong with deals or properties in the MLS. There are plenty of deals to be had on the MLS. I'm not sure where that notion came from where people say, just like what they say, LoopNet and Craxy, like multifamily deals go, deals go there to die. Or like, there's nothing you can find on the MLS, but I'm telling you now, listeners, like there are good deals to be had on the MLS. And a lot of it has to do with when you get that MLS spec sheet, see a lot of agents, multi, large multifamily is kind of different. Once you get above five units, it's a little bit different. But let, right now I am just talking about the two to four, two to four unit range with small residential multifamily. A lot of agents are not investor savvy. And so they will false rent roll interpretations and all types of things on there. And so there are definitely mm -hmm. deals to be had. Even large and above, you will find that you'll see some 15, 20 unit deals go on the MLS. And that's another good way to find deals for sure. And even, even on LoopNet um, and Craigsy, if you do your due diligence right, there might be something that you can find that other people have missed, uh, especially totally. if you're local to the market and you understand it. But, uh, Aside from that, back to off-market, what's an off-market deal? Tell, explain that to us and then explain us to how do you go about, it, it deals, obviously it deals with the cold calling, which is why we're going back to it. But what's the difference between an off-market off deal? What are the advantages, disadvantages? And some people might be saying, well, why would I do an off-market deal if I can get more, if it goes on market? So explain this to the advantages and disadvantages of that explain it all to us uh, from your perspective. Yeah, totally. So an on-market deal is essentially an agent has a signed contract with a seller that is letting them represent them to sell their building and get a commission. Traditionally, it's been held by the MLS, the multiple listing service, which is put on by different realtor associations. There's, there's a few of them in each region. There's a couple like players Additionally, you have LoopNet, which is commercial real estate properties. You have Crexy, CoStar, you have uh, 
I think Brevitas, there's a few other ones out there, but essentially a broker or an agent has a listing with the seller. Now, an off-market deal, a broker and agent could also have an exclusive listing with the seller that they get to represent them. But for whatever reason, whether it's a personal reason or they don't want to list it with a specific broker, it's off-market. I would say most of the time, the off-market deals are a seller that is saying, hey, Mm -hmm. they talk to many brokers. If you can get me a price at this number, I would be willing to sell. Okay. So pros and cons of on and off market deals. If you're a new investor, I think on market deals are very beneficial because you're working with an agent who has a fiduciary responsibility to you as a buyer or to the seller. Everything is very formal. There's formal contracts. A lot of times the deals on the MLS that are listed are cleaner. Not saying they're always clean, but usually the disclosures, everything's like very formal. And an agent is there to kind of help you through the process. If you have any questions, you can ask them. There's usually longer escrow periods, or it's more by the book, if you will. An off-market deal can also be very formal. And maybe the seller, for whatever reason, they're going through a divorce. A lot of times with the single family market uh, realm, you know, maybe their property isn't isn't upkept very well. They don't want this thing listed on the internet or in all these magazines and publications with pictures of their building. Maybe they're embarrassed. Maybe they inherited this property, this apartment building from their parents or their grandparents who owned it for 40 years. They don't want anything to do with this place. They don't even know where to start. Someone calls them. Hey, you know, would you ever consider selling? Yeah. If I could get like this price, I mean, I don't even know what to do. I'm so overwhelmed right now. There's a lot of like different situations, but essentially off market, the benefits For a buyer is if you get someone pitching you an off-market deal, there might not be as many eyes on it. They're not going to see when you go to LoopNet, maybe there's some guys in Los Angeles or San Francisco that are looking to buy something in San Diego. If it's an off-market deal and it's local to that area, they're probably not going to see it. The negatives of off-market, I'll play two hats for this. The negatives for a seller is you may be leaving money on the table. You're not getting full exposure to your property for every buyer out there who could potentially maybe pay more money. So for me as a broker, if you come to me and say you want to sell, I'm always going to ask you, like, would you consider listing the place just because I have a fiduciary responsibility to the seller? I wouldn't want them to leave money on the table. As an investor, a con to an off-market deal, if you're not sophisticated or you're unsure, maybe you're dealing directly with a principal, you meet someone who's willing to sell your property, maybe at a real estate meetup, or through a wholesaler. If you guys don't know what wholesaling is, it's essentially someone is a middleman between a seller and a buyer. They put a property under contract and they assign that contract to a buyer for a higher price. Say they buy, they tell a seller, I can get you a million dollars. They wholesale it. They put on a contract for a million. They assign the contract to a buyer for a million one and they keep the difference, 100K. If you're an investor who's not sophisticated or you're not really sure how the process of buying properties can go, you could be at a disadvantage because you're more apt to make a mistake because you don't have representation from an agent or a broker who kind of knows what they're doing. Or if you're working with a principal, maybe you don't know the kind of protections you should put in place as far as title and escrow, getting proper inspections on the property, stuff like that. Does that make sense, Dre, as far as off-market, on-market? Yeah, that makes sense. Thank yeah. you. What do you do as a broker to 
further develop those relationships to receive off-market deals. Obviously, right, more sophisticated, seasoned investors receive leads for right. off-market deals. But are there something that people, if they're just getting started out, are there things they can do, or do you have any practical tips or feedback for investors to, in order to start receiving more off-market deals? What will you say? Yeah, I think ultimately it builds. It just boils back to relationships. For me, a broker working with a seller, hey, why should I work with you? And ultimately, it's like, let me provide some value for you. Let me give you a free property valuation. Hey, I see that your rents are a little bit low. I'm showing that these rents can kind of be established. Sending them rental reports, sending them market reports, even if they're not ready to sell. As an investor looking for a seller, you know, for a motivated seller, there's some sort of problem. Find out what their pain point is. Maybe they self-manage. Maybe they need to sell a building quickly. Maybe you can take a property off their hands and it can be a win-win. Maybe you'll pay a little bit higher than what they would consider listing if it's still a good deal for you. At the end of the day, real estate is very relationship-based. One thing I thought getting into the commercial real estate game was it would be more transactional, more numbers, more business. Whereas you look at like selling Sunset, million dollar listing. It's very all about the finishes and uh, people fall in love with the properties. That is 100% still prevalent in the apartment real estate game. People want to sell buildings to people that they like or people that they think will take good care of the property that they've owned for the last 20 years. So if you as a buyer or you as an individual want to get involved with a specific seller or a building, provide some value for them. Take them out to coffee Hey, I see that you've owned property for a long time. I'm trying to get started. I just want to talk to owners who know what they're doing. Like, let them tell you their life story and let them hear themselves talk. And, okay, cool. Like, how could I help? You know, I'm just trying to get started in the game. Would you ever consider selling? Maybe not. Okay, cool. Do you know anyone that would be? I'd, I'd love to chat about them further. And if not, cool. I'm just looking to network. I think if you just kind of like, ease your way into it and, and provide value. What can I do for you rather than me, me, me will set you on the path to success. And real estate is a long game. It's not going to happen overnight. The relationships aren't going to happen overnight. It's something that Dre, as you know, like you just start talking to so-and-so who talks to so-and-so. And next thing you know, you have this network of people that you can kind of connect someone else, or maybe a property isn't for you. You can connect the seller to someone else who's a better buyer and you don't take a fee, and they recognize that. And at the end of the day, I think it all comes full circle. Great, great. Thank you for that, Brad. So at this moment, we'll move into the legacy round. Everybody wants to build wealth, but few people know how. So in the legacy in the legacy round, it's an open forum. Tell us about a favorite acquisition, right? That forever changed your life. Practical tips on how to build a portfolio or practical tips on how to build an investor network. You could speak from this from an investor or a broker perspective or both. Uh, best deal that kind of opened my eyes. My business partner and I, we bought a duplex for 165 grand. We put 20 grand into it and it appraised for 265. So essentially we were able to refinance it, pull all the money out that we put into it and then some. And that was kind of like, wow, kind of the power of real estate. Not every deal is like that, but it kind of shows you what you can do. And that was purely someone that we knew uh, that was like, hey, I just want to sell. I'm moving across the country. Hey, we'll, we'll buy it from you directly. We just bought it from them principal to principal. It was a great deal. 
I think as far as an investor getting started out, what you can do in this market, since it's such a seller's market, demand is incredibly high, find ways that you can make beginning sacrifices for long-term gains, short-term pains for long-term gains. Maybe you buy a place that you're going to live in and you're going to rent out the bedrooms. Maybe you're going to pay a little bit higher price for a four-unit property, but you rent it out, you live there, you rent out the bedrooms, anything you can do to kind of like build that equity and just get in the game, start paying down your, your principal and your mortgage, make your building worth more, maybe do some sweat equity yourself, something you can do to just get started. And then once you get started, that's the hardest part. The hardest part is getting the train moving. Once it's moving is when you get all that momentum. Uh, that's kind of my, that would be my recommendation for that. So true. Once you start and you get that bug, it's hard <laughs> to stop. <laughs> it, it's like a waterfall. It's like roller coaster. You just, it just goes. Absolutely. You got to get the law of the first deal. Michael Blanc talks about it all the time on his podcast. You got to get that first deal. It's the hardest, but once you get it going, deals just come. Opportunity just come. It's it's something that I'm saying it, but once you experience it and you feel it, then you really know what I mean. So definitely for anyone out there that has not started yet, just start no matter how long it takes. It took me four months to get my first property. I was an escrow, but once I got it, I got it. Last part of the show, the Gio Donald round. As you know, multifamily by the slice, the name of the podcast alludes to my upbringing in the South Side of Chicago. My love for deep dish pizza and Gio Donald's <laughs> the number one deep dish place in Chicago. But Gio Donald is Italian and it talks about the flow, the flow of water, the flow of things. So we want to flow some knowledge to our listeners as, as we end the last segment of the show. And I got a couple questions kind of like a rapid fire that you can answer. The first one is routine. Talk to me about a typical routine for you as a broker and how that attributes to your success. And you might get this being a vet yourself. So tell gotta me about what your routine is like. Yeah, got to have a routine. Every day, wake up early with the kids, work out probably 30, 45 minutes at home, take the kids to school, come to work, knock out my scheduled calls, and then if I can prospect cold calls for at least two hours a day, that's a win. From there, any minute tasks, maybe some database work. If I'm managing escrows, who do I need to call? What fires do I need to put out? What kind of problems are arising? And then if there's extra time throughout the day, more prospecting. Deal flow is the, is the number one problem in the real estate industry. Where are the leads coming from? where everyone always wants more properties that that's kind of the ideal world. And then I think balance in, like you said, Dre, just a process, have your process and stick to it. You want uh, process oriented work, not results oriented work because the results will come. Great. Number two, if there was one slice of wisdom you can leave our listeners with that you wish you knew when you first started, what would it be? It's a great question. Be patient, mm. be patient. I'm naturally very impatient. <laughs> I am, I am but, too. <laughs> yeah. Especially now in the past year and a half for buyers. I mean, the buyer fatigue is real. You know, people getting bid out, bid out, bid out. Just be patient. Trust the process. That's never what anyone wants to hear. So that's the best advice. Great. And number three, vocabulary is huge to me especially in the real estate industry. I don't think people realize they want to get started, but if you do not know the vocab, you will fail, especially in a large multifamily game with five units at above, but even small, you need to know what cap rates are. You need to know what value add is. 
need to know a little bit about lending and rent rolls and all that and comps. So tell me, if you could pick three vocab words that readers should definitely know or that are your favorite, what would they what they, what are they? First one I'm gonna say is net operating income. That's the entire income that the property generates minus all of the expenses. That leaves you with your net operating income. Next thing kind of with that is cap rate, the capitalization rate. The cap rate, the best way to describe it is if you bought a property all cash and it's a 4% cap rate, that would be your return on your money, 4%. And ultimately to determine the value of an apartment building using the income approach, which is pretty much the five plus space, it is applicable in the two to four, but the, the five plus space, the property is evaluated on the income it generates. You take the net operating income divided by whatever the going cap rate is for the area, and that kind of determines your value of the building. Last one would be the debt coverage ratio. Something important to know is, does the income on the property cover the the potential debt? So if you're looking at a building, let's say it generates $100,000 of income. If you were to purchase it, your mortgage would be $100,000 a year, then that's 1.00. It's even. Uh, traditionally, a lender is going to look at a 20% plus of, of income over debt. So they want a debt coverage ratio of 1.2. So basically, if you can look at a deal and it's covering 1.2, it's not guaranteed that they will lend on the property at that price, but it, it just gives you a good idea like, okay, we're in the wheelhouse. If not, I may need to bring more money to the table. All right, great. Last question. Education is critical in this business. What books, mastermind groups, or apps do you recommend our listeners should read, join, or download? Number one book, this was given to me by a broker. I got it right here. What every real estate investor needs to know about cash flow and 36 other key financial measures by Frank Gallinelli. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think a lot of people, that's like their go-to. But Rich Dad, Poor Dad doesn't really teach you like specifics. This book is really good. I, I have it here on my desk. I still reference it um, for specific metrics. I highly recommend this one. One of my other favorite books is The Best Ever Syndication Book by Joe Fairless. Yes. Apartment syndicator for guys that want to syndicate or trying to do what Dre's doing. I think that is phenomenal. Uh, I've listened to podcasts of guys who have built their business model just off that book and they're crushing it. The last books just released by Brandon Turner and Brian Murray. The Multifamily Millionaire, Volume 1 and 2. They may be my new favorite. I'm still reading them currently, but they're great because they separate small multis and large multis. And for someone who's getting started, the small multi book, it, it can be really, really beneficial. I've already changed some of my metrics for underwriting my own properties. I thought that was, I thought that was really good. Uh, yeah, I skipped it. I went straight to volume two. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I went back to volume one. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's because, you know, at this point, I'm I'm all I'm all large. I'm trying to go five and above. So I was like, small Martha, I'll come back to you later. Let's yeah. get this this large. But it was they were phenomenal books for sure. Uh I definitely agree with you on that. I read the Joe Fairless. I'm a big, huge book nerd. And Joe Fairless's book was it was amazing. Probably one of the best syndication, large multifamily books on the market. And then I, I would probably say second to that is the Brandon Turner and Brian Murray's new book, mm-hmm. volume two on 
you know, multifamily millionaire. And of course, there's a lot of other ones like that are good too. Brent Brian Murray has the other one on crushing it in apartment real estate, but it's not, it's not like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially there's especially there's nothing like Joe Fairless is like where he literally breaks down from day one everything you have to do from thought leadership platforms to writing your goals out to raising right. capital the slide deck everything it's it's a great book i read it twice when i was underway on the ship and that thing is like noted hand highlighter pages <laughs> and triangles and all yeah. types of stuff yeah but i like and then that. outside of those those books i haven't done any thought leadership platforms just podcasts for me Mm-hmm. Bigger, I think Bigger Pockets is great. If you're getting started, they have their like rookie real estate podcast. I still listen to some of those occasionally if there's a specific topic. And then Joe Fairless, the best ever real estate investing advice show. It's the longest running real estate podcast, and they're usually only 20 to 25 minutes. Even if there's a topic that you aren't interested in specifically, for me as an investor and a broker, I think it's great to just expose yourself to that because you never know what type of conversations you might come up in passing with other real estate investors and just being able to speak to different types of topics or just open your mind. Maybe you realize that you don't want to do apartments. You want to do triple net or you want to do self storage. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always good to expose yourself. Those are my two favorites. Great. Great. So uh, thank you for your time. How can leaders listeners best get in touch with you, Brad? Yeah. Best way is probably LinkedIn. You could just, Search me, Bradley Milburn, out here in San Diego. Instagram is multifamily with Millie, M-I-L-L-Y. I'm starting to post a little bit more on there. Like, I'm not I too like active that. on the social. I like that name. Uh, but if you, if you guys look me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. I would reply. We can meet up, chat about real estate, get a coffee, get a beer. If you're local here in San Diego or you just want to bounce an underwriting off me, more than happy to help. Great. Well, again, Brad, thank you for your time. Thank you, my listeners, for listening in. I hope you learned a lot and that you're able to walk away with a slice of knowledge in the, in the multifamily world. And again, I just want to leave you guys with my favorite quote. At some point, there is no excuse. Either you do everything it takes to make it happen or you don't. I'm your host, Trey Evans. Thank you. Thanks, Trey. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.